everybody. Welcome to the podcast, It May Interest You to Know. I'm joined by a very special guest today. I've been looking forward to talking to her for a while. Comedian <laughs> Michelle Trainer. Welcome, Michelle. Did I say your name right, Trainer? You Does said that, it 110% right. Is that you. too much Italian that I put into that? <laughs> uh, you have to. I'm 100% Italian. <laughs> <laughs> as am I. As am I, I. Think it's, right. I was going to say, and I, I have so many Tonys in my life, too, just so you know, men and women. And it's so funny because, like, I was like, okay, well, she's going to get me because we're from there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to start back from the very beginning for you. Uh, because you're a special ed teacher, right? And I assume that came before the community. So, okay. Yeah. It, okay. Oh, so the so I am certified to teach theater, all grades in New Jersey. And I was in New York. And then when I, I was teaching theater in New Jersey for so long, my New York State initial cert lapsed because I wasn't teaching in New York State. Um, but I don't have a special ed cert, but I ended up teaching lots of self-contained theater classrooms. So then when I, my daughter was born, um, she had developmental delays. Um, and she's actually, she's considered labeled now ADHD and a couple of other, uh, you know, processing disorders. But uh, my whole theater company was is based around inclusion performances specifically for different, differently abled children. So... Yes, I get lumped into have you know as a special ed teacher, but I'm not actually certified. I just have the ex I I have a master's in educational theater, which then lots of coursework with dr drama for diverse learners, and then the field work has been quite heavy. So it's great, heavy is in working with that you know lots of experience. So tell me how you transition into being a comedian. Well, I've always been um, in comedy since I was in high school. So I did musical theater, did dance for since I was a kid, like six years old. And then physical comedy was always naturally in me. I, as an Italian woman, like I feel like it's kind of how we tell stories and oh, also yeah. how, we, how we kind of fight with our relatives and our boyfriends or our significant others. We kind of do this thing. <laughs> so I, um, in college, in my undergrad, I did a lot of improv. I started studying improv. I did improv shows. And then right out of college, I went and did musical theater and children's theater. And a lot of the children's theater was based in like comedic bits, physical comedy. So that when I, I kind of transitioned to teaching full time when I met my ex-husband and want, didn't want to, you know, I wanted to stay with him and not travel as much. So then I got this, this master's degree in education. And um, I never left performing and I never left comedy. I always actually still did it through teaching, through role play. Um, there was always some humor, you know, in my, um, you know, in my repertoire of who I am, you know, and I think making kids laugh was part of it. So, Well, stand up is its own beast to a certain extent. Right. I mean, getting up on a stage all by yourself uh, and people are staring at you, waiting to, you to entertain them with uh, some funny, you know, antidote. Uh, that's its own beast, is it not? 
Yeah, so that I didn't get into till after my divorce, which I used to be afraid of stand-up. I used to want to try it. And I think I tried it once in my early 20s, and I was like, this is hard. Because you have to, for, for some people, they can actively just get up and riff and be funny. Um, and there's certain, there certain environments, I think, where a lot of us can get up and riff and be funny, right? But if you really take it as a craft, you have to write. I personally write every day. You got to listen to, transcribe your tapes, listen to what's getting last, listen to, listen to what's not, know who you are, and be authentic in how you present that so it is a whole different kind of beast um i like to say that it's the the genre or the beast or the avenue that brought me back to my like real love of my life which is being on stage do you remember your very first moment doing stand-up like when you walked out on the stage and there you are your very first moment in front of the mic in front of the audience yes i do um so there was there was a moment of, I took a class at Caroline's Comedy Club in the city with uh, one of my mentors, Linda Smith. She, that was my first time on a quote unquote in front of an audience with this microphone, right? In a room. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I was nervous. I was like, ah, but everybody there was also learning. And I was going through a breakup and a lot. And it was like, well, this, if I can do, if I can feel pain, I can do this. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, but when I, I was it. actually on stage at Caroline's doing the show, um, I was very nervous. I was scared. But then again, I just went back to all the other things I had been through. I was like, well. So do you remember the sense that you got the first laugh you got? I'll ask this as a compound question. First laugh, what that felt like. And first uh, dud, you know, that I thought this was funny and I didn't get a response. Can you remember what each felt like? Yeah, I think that the, the the first show I did went really well it was this graduation show, too, of the class. It went really well. And I was like, and everyone's like, wow, you know, this is great. And I felt like I want to do it again. I want to keep doing this. And then the second show, and I've heard this a lot, sometimes the second show doesn't go as well, um, which it wasn't like horrible, but like there, there was moments where I was like, I don't know if that, that worked as well. And it it didn't ever feel like a like so horrible where I wanted to stop. It actually just wanted me to work on it more. Um, but I've been in so many of those situations now too, where I'm like, oh, this is not working, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> and you start sweating it out. But um, most of the time, when that happens, knowing myself, it's because I haven't prepped as much as I should have, or I'm getting in my head about something. So I, I know kind of the signals of how that when it happens, but yeah, of course it's like being tackled. If I was on the football field, being tackled by a whole bunch of players that are, you know, 300 pounds and not moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think getting in your own head is, it's a really interesting point that you bring out because that's true of almost anything, right? You could be really good at anything and then having a lot riding on it. You could be a surgeon, right? A lawyer, whatever. And it could be a big moment, have a lot riding on you being the best you can be, right? And you can get in your own head about that. And that's almost paralyzing, isn't it? Oh, it's very paralyzing. I think that in day-to-day -day stuff, we get in our head, like, like, as a comedian and an actor and, uh, you know, a, a business owner, I have, if I get in my head, it gets in the way of my income. So if you think of it that way, or if you get in your own head, it gets in the way of your personal growth and in your craft, it gets in your way, especially as a creative. 
I think that you have to find ways to get out of that or at least acknowledge that you're doing it right. and then take a step back. And sometimes I even just, sometimes when I'm having those moments, I just start writing about it and then there becomes a bit within itself too, you know? Well, talk to me about the creative process for you. Uh, how does that work? And I've had all different people tell me all different things on the podcast, right? I've had people yeah. tell me, I, you know, I have to go out jogging in the morning. I have this ritual I go through. I've had people tell me, I don't, I just sit at the computer. I write spontaneously. It just comes to me then. It's natural. What does it look like for you? How do you create? Well, um, ideally, it's a matter of writing rehearsing and then writing and rehearsing again and then when you try it out in front of a crowd you i go back and see what works and what didn't and then what is working i keep honing that and what isn't working i throw out or i if it if it's worked at different times i save it and try to see how i can fix it the process usually i do now when i'm touring with the show is right now i have a show at the end of the month so i'm writing daily i'm rehearsing smaller sets I'm looking over tapes, and then the week before, I'm rehearsing every day the full hour and 15 minutes. So when you say you're creating or you're writing, though, is that you you sitting down at the computer kind of writing out your material, or do you write, and you, you know, all day long? Like, I'm in the shower, and, you know, I have a thought. I write it down as soon as I come out of the shower. Or are you observational in nature? Like, I go to the supermarket, and I see something funny, yeah. and, and instantly I, I know that's that's in, that's in my show tonight. Well, I think for Divorce Diaries, it's not an atypical stand-up show. So how I do it is I, I do it almost like a script, and I do a lot of um, rehearsal. So sometimes writing doesn't work for me as much. I'm a physical person. I need to get up and just start talking in, in a structure. But the routine I try to maintain is I write artist notes, which is just a stream of conscious for like 10, 15 minutes. And then I take stand-up jokes for 30 minutes and then I talk them out. And ideally, sometimes with mom life and with, I sometimes get an acting gig or an acting audition, I have to pause things and shift my schedule around. But ideally that's the routine. And then if I have, as a stand-up, you wanna get as much stand-up time on stage as possible. But my path lately, especially since the pandemic has been, you know, I can get into spots for my show or whenever I can on stage, but I can't go into the clubs and hang out for stage time because I have a, a 10 year old and I don't have a lot of childcare and she competes gymnastics. And there's a lot of moving parts that I can't just do that pathway. But ideally, to get on stage as much as possible to practice the material is key to honing it and seeing what works. Well, let's talk about divorce diaries. Yeah. I, I understand this came about as a result of your actual <laughs> emotional uh, crumble. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I, I love that you said that because I think that I was the, I, I have been told a lot about like my divorce being depressing and how divorce is hard and divorce is like this downward spiral when honestly I feel like it was the opposite for me because I think and I'm not putting down what I had with my husband or you know I'm not putting him down and saying this but I feel like the marriage was the crumble and divorce was the light at the end of the tunnel so in all honesty because I I think that I I was so not happy for so long and in turn made him so unhappy. We're both not happy pe happy in the relationship. What are we doing? Um, so really as hard as the steps of divorce were, 
it was really just like digging out of the crumble into the light. So I, I like to see that light as the divorce and the marriage was just not the right, it wasn't the right, we weren't right for each other. It just ended up happening that we didn't realize it. Sure. Well, I think for a lot of people, that's true, right? You get, they get to the, by the time they're talking divorce, the, the marriage is, uh, uh, is in serious trouble. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. And, but you're fortunate in that the divorce, I guess, went better than average, uh, because for a lot of people, that's not the case. Oh, I mean, no, it was, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it wasn't great, but it was, it was like, and I, I apologize, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It, it, it was rough. It was not easy. My daughter was having early intervention. My ex-husband was not happy with me. It was, it was a mess, but even in the mess, I knew it was better than staying isolated in an unhappy place. So <laughs> I think that's important. That's an important message just in and of itself to, to strive towards finding happiness and recognizing when you're in a place that could be destructive or toxic to you emotionally. I think that's an important message. So you hit the reset button, right? And you start over again and you create divorce diaries. Tell me about it. So I created Divorce Diaries when I moved back home with my parents. And it was my parents, my 92-year-old grandmother, my handicapped dog. My twin brother was living home there. It was like the Italian Adams family. Yeah. And, they, <laughs> and I love my family so much, especially my parents were very close with, to, with them. But it was not ideal. You know, I can go in your high school reunion and say, yeah, I just moved home. I'm, I, I'm, I might have to file bankruptcy and I don't think I'm ever going to find the love of my life. You know, those kinds of things are going through your head. And, and my child was facing these um, early intervention services for not, she was not speaking. Then they also thought she had developmental delays because, or, or that they thought she might be on the spectrum. There was these, I kept hearing like, you know, she has red flags for autism. She could be on the spectrum. I had to go all these evaluations. And I was like, huh? And, and I was so lost and alone. And I was like, my, my handicapped dog lived with, he had just gotten hit by a car. It was like, you couldn't even make this up. I just started writing out divorce diaries, divorce diaries. And like, you know, a, a camera would follow me around in this awkward reality TV show that was like real housewives, but not without the house. So I, I always knew I wanted it to be like a television show, but my background in theater was like, got to put it up on a stage. So I just started doing, I, I never stopped performing throughout my life. So it was always where I would kind of filter out things. And I, I initially really just started developing pieces from my life before Divorce Diaries even started. Like I did a one woman show off Broadway years before that. And then I started creating during this time uh, with New Work series in New York and then Divorce Diaries started developing around 2015. And then when I started doing stand-up, connecting Divorce Diaries into this one-woman comedy show was when I, I was dating a cop. He was the first guy I fell in love with after divorce. And I really thought he was the one. And he did all these... Don't mind my daughter singing in the background in the other room. <laughs> and he did all these crazy little things to me, like cancel on me for his dog and his mom and, and like really 
weird, odd, but funny things you couldn't make up that I, I was like, when he broke up with me, I was like, you know what? I got to do something to get over this because I feel so sad inside. And that's when a friend of mine had done a stand-up class. He's like, I was like, maybe I should just go take a stand-up class and get this out. And that's really what triggered me into creating stand-up and melding the worlds of divorce diaries into the stand-up and, and really my background in improv combining all of them. So, I mean, you've, you've had monstrous success with Divorce Diaries. Yeah, uh, I mean, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, accolades everywhere. Uh, I know, I have this, this, this is from, so it's all relative, right? I am on the constant grind and hustle every day to do, you know, to grow my business and expand, but most importantly, to make it a strong piece of content and entertainment brand that people really want to keep coming back to because it it's healing. Uh, I think that's what I resonate the most with because I, I, I always watch shows and live shows for that purpose, to feel motivated, inspired, and a little bit of healing. And we, you know, shot, I shot a pilot, I wrote a pilot and shot it last year. And these are some accolades you see in the background. And I'm <laughs> proud of it because we raised money for this. We're, we, I, you know, signed up with a producer recently where we're looking for season one to be filmed. So we're just on the uphill, you know? I mean, there's so many people trying to do or doing what I'm doing too. And it's all about, you know, the journey. And sometimes um, you have to, you know, everybody's always looking at other people to compare. I do it myself all the time. like. So you have to just say, look, this is so exciting to keep building and sharing and, you know, so making it as strong as it can be and as open to the theme, or I should say, and expand to the theme of feeling accepted, feeling included, feeling uh, like making it in life is really a state of mind as opposed to this societal norm of being married or being a specific type of person to feel successful or feel included is not is not it because not a lot of us don't feel that way but we don't really have this open dialogue about it in a way that's productive you know so now tell me what it was like to be filming it. What was, you remember your first day of filming? What was that like? Yeah, it was great. I loved it. I mean, we did a, a five day shoot for a 30 minute pilot and we filmed on a, a very small budget and it was run and gun and eight hour, eight, five, eight hour days for in the film industry. That's really not a lot. And I feel we got the... Uh, mission accomplished. This was my street that it was shot on. This is one of the shots we did. And um, my, my daughter's a singer. <laughs> so it was, nice. it was great. It was really great. We have, we are in more festivals. It's circulating in. Um, we have, I have signed with a producer who uh, is in Chicago. His name is David Vox Mullen, and, and he ha we have a production company that's on board to film a full season now. But we are looking for, you know, we're, we're just taking steps to find investors, to find the right steps to get to a platform to keep growing it, in, in addition to the live show. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that you're going to appeal, uh, you know, in terms of TV, I, I can't imagine you're not going to appeal to 
society at large. I mean, you really can't look to the left or the right and not stumble over somebody who's uh, been divorced or in the middle of a divorce or thinking about a divorce. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that does resonate for people. Uh, I, I think that, um, too, is the important part with the whole divorce, like diaries, is that when they watch the show, it's really about this post-divorce journey where it's not so much maybe Michelle going through the divorce, she's already divorced, that there's other characters that are struggling in their marriages, struggling in their careers, and Michelle's also struggling with her own self-worth and her friend. Like, so it's, it's kind of about, you know, this concept of when life doesn't go as planned, you know, this is the roller coaster. It's, it's the chaos in the form of a woman. That's one of the lines in the show. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, anybody who's um, been through that, I, I almost think you could say any trauma, right? Divorce in its own way is its own trauma. Yeah. Uh, and, and anybody who's been through that, picking up the pieces, you know, dusting yourself off and starting all over again is certainly a process, all right. You're going to have good good days and bad days coming out of any type of journey. You're going to have those days where you're like, I'm going to sit on the porch and wait for the locusts. Uh, and, and then you're going to have days where you're like, I can do this. And you're, you know, you're swinging your hips a little bit. Uh, and I think learning to navigate those highs and lows uh, as you're trying to make your way back to a, to a really good place uh, is is hard. Uh, and I think seeing it is just my opinion. I think seeing it in the form of somebody else doing it and showing you like, yeah, this you're going to be all over the place and it's okay. Like embrace that and just keep going. Like just keep getting up. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate lesson, right? Every time you get knocked down, just keep getting up and try to find the humor in the really bad days. And the, last week when my daughter fell is literally the epitome of the show. Like I was laughing. I was like, this woman is going to think like I'm like just forgot about her. And like literally this is my life to a T. Something will happen like that. We're in the middle of I'm about to go do work. And then I, I couldn't get my email on my phone because my storage is full. So because I'm going to be like, why would I not have my email? And, and that's why when I got so it's like it's like that those minutes are in the show because that's what ends up happening. My daughter broke her arm during the pandemic, scooting down her, our friend's house and she couldn't do gymnastics for six weeks. I'm like, oh my God, we're not gonna make it. She needs, she needed to do something, right? And it was like the longest six weeks because she was trapped inside and I had to find something. To, it's like, you can't make these moments up right? because they haven't. And then there's a lot of other people that can connect to these chaotic circumstances that I also think with, regards to the societal norm right of marriage and uh relationships and and you know i do a lot about the school moms and like how i'm i'm not the typical school mom and i even joke around with the school moms about this show and like how it's like you know i i just don't fit in i feel very on the outskirts even though i can have a conversation with them and relate when i walk up to the front of the school i feel very on the outside and there's a lot of people that feel that way and i think that to have the open dialogue about it and bring attention to it allows us to feel like we are worth it in this in this world in this community and in there's a whole bigger picture involved with you know the way we internalize things <laughs> sure and and you know what i think and i'm not going to put words in your mouth right but if you've had a typical 
Italian upbringing, right? There, there's a lot of that, you know, functioning on somewhat a dysfunctional level, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that usually adapts, you know, you to all different situations. Uh, and I think when you get put into the, into the traumas and the, uh, and to the unexpected as you age, uh, it somewhat helps you see the humor, right, in what you're experiencing and be able to deal with it in a way that just doesn't drive you absolutely crazy. Uh, and oh, I, I think yeah. you, you're being a role model for that somewhat. My, my, one of my relatives said it past yesterday about her daughter, uh, and she was sharing a moment with me about, she's like, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm comparing myself and, and to these other people who have these big houses. And I'm like, well, I don't understand why my daughter does. I just want a guy to take care of her. And then like, well, there's the issue is that she doesn't need a guy to take care of her. You've raised her to be able to take care of herself. Like she was, I know we come from that old school train of thought. I said, and look at the old school train of thought. Like if I really look at my family history, my mom and her mom took care of things. <laughs> it's just, it's just a different, and it was also a different time. Whereas like, you know, now, we, we live in a different time period. There's not this, like, the woman has to do this and the man has to do this. It's like, no, you know, I can, maybe that's why I felt very stuck in the relationship I was in. I just felt like, but I want so much more. You know, I don't want to sit home on a Saturday and just make peanut butter and jelly. Well, we are not allowed to have peanut butter with the nut allergies, but you know, like, cream cheese and jelly sandwiches for soccer games. No, I, I want, I want to, I mean, if my daughter wants me to do that, I will, but I'm not going to ever stop wanting to be, you know, performing or traveling and living this, this different kind of lifestyle that I, I find a lot of passion and, and, and soul from, you know? I think what's tr so important in the in that message that you just said um is that if if you if you feel or you're in a relationship at any point where you feel you're unable to be who you are uh, right and to enjoy what you enjoy at, in life um that's a red flag oh right? yeah yeah i mean if somebody is telling you or you know no i mean i don't want to do that and so you can't either uh, right and, and so you're prohibited in a way, I mean, you have to step back and see that for what it is. Those things don't end well, right? Yeah. I, mean, I did divorce work for for three decades. They they don't end well. I mean, it, it, inevitably, those relationships fail because who you are will bubble back up. So that's exactly what happened. And it, I don't think it was so much, you know, my ex-husband's like fault or anything like that. I changed a lot about myself to satisfy something that I thought I needed to be for him that he felt comfortable with and shame on me. You know, I, I, I said, I'll never do that again because what ended up happening was I, I suppressed it and then eventually it came out and it came out in the way of where I was, you know, feeling attracted towards another man. I didn't cheat or anything, but it definitely got to the point where I was like, I'm really unhappy in this relationship. I can, I can suppress and suppress and suppress who I really am, but eventually she's going to explode. So she exploded. And, um, I, I remember having my daughter and saying at one point after her first birthday, like, 
I think it was a couple, I gave it a couple more months and I said, I just can't do this anymore. We have to separate because it was to the point where it was becoming uh, volatile for both of us. And I think, um, you know, we're both in much better places in our lives. Like he's with somebody now. I'm single and very happy to be single. And I feel like my my relationship is my business, is Divorce Diaries. And I'm, I'm so, I couldn't be happier about that. I mean, the journey about with marriage and, and divorce and relationships is, I believe we all do want to have that love and passion and romance with a partner. And I think that I've never found it with the right person. Um, and I do want it. And I do believe it's out there, but it's just not the right time. And I do do a lot of jokes about the then I date. So it's a big part of the show, a big part. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's something a, a lot of women and men can relate to on any age level because because it's never easy even when you're in your 20s or you're not your teens it's so it's always a self-worth self-doubt what's i don't know what i'm doing what do they like me do they not it's this whole thing and it, it continues on when you're an adult i don't ever i sometimes look at the way i handle things like i'm like how old am i how i'm still taking this in like i'm 13 years old you know <laughs> that's inevitable right that that may be uh, and I, I, you know, I'll get a ton of emails on this, but that may be, you know, related more towards gender, right? I think that women do internalize criticism uh, very differently than men do. Right. Uh, and, and so the slightest bit of criticism from a partner um, immediately translates to self-doubt and do I need to change to make this person happy? Uh, and, yeah. and that's just, I mean, wow, that's a, that's climbing up a hill with no climbing equipment whatsoever. Uh, right. Because the more you do to change, the more change is demanded of you. Uh, and you know, yeah. it's, it's a vicious cycle, you know, you never get to the point where you are, uh, you are enough if you weren't enough to begin with, right. People have to, and this is a message I'm really glad we're talking about. Uh, for any women listening or young, you know, somebody young, um, if you're not enough just by being who you are, um, you, you know, that's, that's not the right relationship. It's not, it's, it's like, and that's hard because I, I do feel like I'm enough, but then I'm looking at myself in my past and like, why am I with this person who's not giving me the effort that I put in? And I want to teach my daughter that because, she, I want her to model that. I want to model, I want to model for her what I want her to do with, with boys or girls or whoever she chooses to be with. And I get concerned about that because right now, I think in the history of dating, I just, I've, I haven't like put myself out there a lot in the seven years I've been divorced, but when I have, it's, I fell for men who are not emotionally available and it's it's always like a catastrophic and then i'm out for like two years alone because i don't want to be with anybody after that and um so it's your pattern you have a pattern oh i have gone through like hypnotherapy i spoke with a psychotherapist i have a medium i have done so much on this stuff and then it took and then literally i was like you know what 
I'm I said this on one of my TikToks. I go, I'm really just tired of people saying it's something that happened in my childhood because my dad loved me. It was very close with him. My mother loved me. And if it was the boy in eighth grade that called me ostrich because my neck was too long, then I'm going to find him. <laughs> what is it uh, I'm not sure you need therapy. I mean, I, I, it sounds like maybe you just need to like go out with your four best female friends, right? And sit around and, and be reminded of what makes you fabulous. Oh, that's sweet. I, I do. I do do that. I do have those friends. I think it's a lot of internal work that I have to do still that I'm, I've, I've been really focusing on, on my, on, patterning in my my thought patterning that's what i should say my thought patterning and the routines that i do after right obsessing about this one person for so long and in a way where it's like but i don't get it but i don't get it but i don't get it and it's like i don't feel, and you feel i i think that the problem with me is and i've i've had this from people that i've talked to is that i i intensely give so much to a person who's not giving to me. And I actually think that's happened in, it happened in my relationship with my ex-husband was that, yes, he gave to me too, but there was only so much he was capable of. And eventually it was not enough for, for who I am. It just wasn't, he's not, yeah. Yeah, I think patterns, I, I noticed over the years of divorcing couples because I had, was in this very unique position of seeing people at the end. Right. I wasn't the wedding photographer. I didn't, get to see, I didn't get to see the happy people. Right. I was at the end when they hated each other and, you know, would come to you trying to figure out the best plot to completely annihilate that other person. Like I was at that end of the spectrum. So I got to see all these relationships imploding. And oftentimes there were definitive patterns. Yeah. Patterns to the relationships, uh, even. Even just in, you know, the same people who, who drew them, drew towards narcissistic people, all right? right. Because they yeah. tended to be someone who preferred giving. They, they were, you know, overly uh, caretaking in their nature, and they always drew towards uh, a particular type of personality. And those were patterns that I picked up across seeing all different people at all different points of their life. And I used to say, I used to call one, I remember like the, the Anne Boleyn syndrome, right? And that's Anne Boleyn is this famous queen in England, right? She marries Henry VIII. And he, to marry her, he completely turns England on its head, right? I mean, it's, you know, he, he gets rid of the first wife. The Catholic Church won't give him a divorce. So he ultimately breaks away from the Catholic Church. And he says, guess what? We're all going to be this new religion. And if you're not, we're going to kill you. All right. So instantly everybody converts. He creates a new religion, puts himself in charge and says, you know, hey, I'm divorced now. And so I can marry her. And marries her. Right. So he totally turns England on its head. And he winds up in this relationship with her and he cuts the wife, the ex-wife off from ever seeing her child again. He banishes her. He strips her of all of her money. He leaves her just penniless, sick and ruined. Right. And then when it comes to the time when he he's had about enough of what he found so sexy about him, Boleyn in the beginning and like her, you know, her mouth and her attitude and whatever is just a little too much for him he decides to dispense with her and, and by, Oh, this time I'm not waiting around for a divorce. And he just, you know, has her sentenced on some kind of trumped up charges and, and she's beheaded. Yeah. Right? And, 
And for me, I'm thinking, you didn't see that coming, right? I mean, like the whole time he's he's treating, when you got to see him at the end of his relationship with his first wife, and he had no regard for her and her happiness, and he's totally willing to completely decimate and ruin her. Uh, and yet you, that person will say, but he'd never do it to me. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. And I'd have those people who'd come in and say, but he, he'd never do that to me. Like, I, I, well, why did you, I mean, you saw all the signs he treated maybe a, a brother, a sister, a, a, a friend or a cousin or somebody like that, or maybe usually, usually the person before you, like they were getting a divorce from somebody else and they were miserable to them. Um, and you watch them do that. And they said, but I just never believed he would do it to me or she would do it to me. And that used to be my Anne Boleyn syndrome. You never saw that, right? I mean, but you did. It was there. The signs were there. He was doing it. But you never believed that that would be capable of being turned on you. Well, so and I, I think that that's a pattern, you know, and I, that I, oh. didn't, I didn't get it. Like why I couldn't personally understand it, but it nonetheless was a pattern with a lot of people. So I have a question for you because I was thinking about this this morning. With with that said, just like the signs you see up front, why didn't you back away kind of thing, where I have had that happen to me. And, and last year, there was a guy, I wasn't dating him, but we were friend, became friends through the divorce community. He had divorce podcast. He is also in the film industry. And so I was doing this pilot and said also, hey, if you don't want to do my podcast, and I, you can pick my brain about the film industry, but blah, blah, so we became friends and then I actually we for like four months I you know we're like this virtual friendship and I kept saying like he'd call me for hours I'm like you know I feel like there's a connection here we sh you know I don't and he he acknowledged it and just said I just want to be your friend I, I can't see that going you're long distance I he lives in LA I live in, and and so then when I was out and, I, and at first I was like Oh, well, then I don't want to talk to you because like this is going to hurt me because there was more than it was. It was a chemistry that was like obviously there, but he didn't want to play mind to it. And he had claimed how hurt he was when we opened up to each other. So when I went out in L.A., we did have a romance. We had a four day romance. I stayed with him and it was beautiful. And then it, it like came crashing down when I came home because he's like, I just want to be your friend with benefits. And it like broke me down because I did it again. I kind of didn't pick up on the immediate signs at the beginning where he basically told me what he wanted. He, um, even though he kept like, like, you know, when they kind of do this, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and, and like now, now we don't even talk. He um, really, he turned it around on me, made me feel really bad. And we were supposed to work together on something. It was like a whole mess. And then I looked back this morning, I thought, but you saw the signs in the beginning. The guy, like, I, I remember crying about the fact like I was frustrated about how he wasn't seeing, like he was just like, I just want to be your friend. I was like, well, you're being, you're being a little um, hypocritical here. Right. And I, I remember the first time I cried about it before I ever met him, I was like, this is not good. I should not continue talking with him. But, but he was so nice and so different than the other guys. And the second I came home after we had had been intimate together and everything, I told him on the phone, I said, you're exactly like all the men that I told you about. You are no different. And it shut him up because he's trying to claim that I just date losers and I don't. I said, I don't date losers. I date broken men just like yourself. And he had nothing to say to it because it was the truth. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, but that's, 
a situation like getting to there's a certain savvy right i think that goes along with saying hey this is i see the signs for this pattern and i'm out right yeah. and i think and i think that the, there's a lot of training you can almost train your mind to 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 do anything right if you trained your mind to think a certain way you'd eventually that would happen right they can train they can train a mouse to go left or right uh you i have to believe that human beings can kind of you know self-train themselves to to not do that and i think in those moments you have to say if i want something to turn out differently i have to behave differently right if i want somebody to give me a different reaction or treat me differently i have to be different with them yeah. otherwise you you know you you're kind of destined uh to to be in the same trap over and over again um so i love that you just said that and i want to press like save in my brain cuz that's <laughs> something i need to keep telling myself especially lately so yeah absolutely <laughs> it's true yeah but and and isn't that that you are you are maybe the spokesperson for millions of women out there who are sitting there right now thinking the same exact thing well and, and i sorry good yeah i mean that's what makes it so successful that's what makes divorce diaries so successful you're kind of the spokesperson for everybody out there going same thing happened like i don't get it and, you know and 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 why is life look like this we're going to use this in our in our press reel just so you know that's a perfect statement because it's like the comedic bits that i i that have happened to me where like i lose control it's like a lot of women want to lose it on these guys and i don't mean lose control in a dangerous way but i mean reactiveness of like saying things that are on my mind you know like and i you know say things that get offensive like i did bits about him on stage and he told me to and then got mad and unfollowed the show. And I asked him, I said, well, I don't understand why you unfollowed the show. He's like, I don't want to, I don't look at your feed anymore and it keeps popping up. I said, I thought we were going to be lifelong. And, and he had sent me a message like a month before that, how he wanted me to heal and allow us to be friends. And I was like, what happened to healing and being friends? And then, you know, and like, he made me a video. He sends me a video. I don't know if any woman has ever gone through this. If you send a guy a package, a thank you package, he ha had me at his house and everything, and I sent him a thank you, uh, and he sent me back videos, two videos of him opening the packages up, reading the letter, and then expressing how much he didn't want to be with me. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's unpleasant. It was the most depressing thing someone has ever done to me and I thanked him for it like an idiot after I watched it I was confused I was like is this supposed to be like a I didn't know what to say you know when you got to get thrown off you're like thanks for the videos I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like uh you you yeah you so it was really sucking <laughs> yeah like you want to follow that up with kind of a, a, a string of expletives um yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Uh, you know, but I I think again, there's something to be said in your journey and being the spokesperson. There are a lot of women out there cheering and saying, "Yeah, this is what I need. I need to hear this because I need to work on why my relationships keep failing or I need to work on finding something better." And that's truly internalized it is truly your own journey it's like that with anything i talk about it a lot on the show i had cancer and cancer for me was a divine tap on the shoulder uh it if 
the journey I went through to get back to health, uh, certainly it was not fun. I wouldn't wish on uh, anybody. And doing that, I had to change everything about my life. Like you get to the point where you say, do I want to live or do I not want to live? And if the answer is yes, that means really hard choices, right? That means I now have to change everything about how I'm living because the way I'm living is killing me, as Chris Walk says all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so I completely changed how I live and how I eat uh, and taking care of myself and dealing with stress. And so it's that way, no matter what your gig is, no matter what your deal is, no matter what your burden is in life or that brings you down or is hurting you, uh, I think hitting that reset button and trying to change things for yourself is a difficult journey. And anytime you can bring some attention to that, I applaud it and I applaud what you're doing. I applaud it because you're taking a negative and trying to turn it into a positive and saying, hey, everybody, you know, you can't, it's okay. You're not alone and I'm doing yeah. it and, and I'm, you know, I'm famous. You're saying, you know, I'm famous and I'm doing this so you can do this and, and it's going to be okay. I love what you just shared and thank you for sharing that because I mean, I know your listeners may know that already about you, but that to me just sets a, a thing off of like, you have, when, when you have to change something about your lifestyle, it's so ingrained in your everyday routine and it takes a lot, but you know that it's going to change your identity, which is going to raise you up to that, like I, I read this Ed Milet, I love Ed Milet, he's this big like entrepreneur, motivational speaker. And like this book is about, his new book is about that, right? So I'm thinking, oh my God, she changed her thermostat to her identity so she can live to the full potential of who you really are, you know, as the, the life progresses, right? Like I'm a big alchemist fan too, where it's like your personal legend. This is your personal legend. You got one shot at it and we, you know, every day can add to it where it's like, if I don't look at this guy's post and I don't look at his stories, I know it sounds kind of immature, but if I don't do it, I am taking one step further to not falling back into obsessive compulsive behavior. Whereas if I do, then I'm not moving ahead and I'm stuck in, in the seven years of dating awful guys or feeling pity for myself. You said it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> As my dad would say, what is wrong with the just jamoke? <laughs> so so I, I agree. And I, I think what you're doing, you know, takes guts. I think revealing anything about yourself takes guts, right? To, yeah. to people and saying you're and you're doing it in a way that you're saying you're you are not alone. And let's find humor in this together. Yeah. hundred percent. Applaud that. Tell people where they can find out about you, your show, information, see you. So they can go to michelletraina.com or divorcediarieshow.com, divorcediarieshow.com. Michelle Traina, Michelle spelled with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Traina, T-R-A-I-N-A.com. Both are my umbrella websites and you can just go to events. I am doing a show in Richmond, Virginia, uh, July 28th, and then Long Island International Film Expo, July 16th. That's the pilot we'll be screening, but the next live show is in Virginia, and there'll be more dates coming up in the fall. Sure, especially now with COVID restrictions significantly lessening, um, yeah. I would think you'll even start appearing more and more. That had to be a, a hard journey for all of you comedians out there who who really get your energy by an audience. 
uh, that that had to be very hard, uh, you know, entertaining. Like your daughter's tired of hearing the same jokes, I would imagine, right? <laughs> like you're, you're home. I did, yeah, I did everything virtual. I, I used to do a, a, a bi-weekly Divorce Diaries virtual show. We got a really weird, we got this like group going. I got divorce attorneys, some sponsored a private show for their clients. I got, I had a, um, I had a group, it wasn't a divorce, it was a side group that brought me on to do a, a private show. I mean, I brought the business to virtual lenses and it actually, my theater company too. So we shifted, we pivoted, we had to, I had no other choice. I had left my full-time teaching job right before the pandemic really let up, like really started. And I wasn't, I didn't know this was gonna happen. And I was like, oh my God. And so I had no choice but to, to hit the ground running. Obviously I would have done it anyway, but like as crazy as Zoom was, it really, all that stuff kind of saved what you were supposed to do. I think if you I think it helped in, in a way, you know? I agree. I totally agree. Well, I'm gonna put up links uh, to everything below the video. Awesome. And I, I mean, I really love chatting with you. Yeah, I think you're funny and engaging and uh, anyone who hasn't seen the show or seen her before, go check her out. <laughs> yes, please come check out the show. I can't wait to be back in Jersey. So we will hopefully be back in Jersey in the fall or early winter. I'm trying to spread out that since it's really a, a, a touring show now, I, I used to do it monthly in New York and monthly. In it was a lot to just, cause it's, it's a specialty show and I like to bring it, bring new material to each show. So I think we're going to do Jersey in October and New York in September. Excellent. So check her out again. Again, the links will be up. Thank you, Michelle, for joining me today. This is Thanks. this has been fun. Thank you, Tony, and for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you'll come back, especially well, as you're you're going along and Divorce Diaries is uh, continuing to advance. I hope you'll come back and continue talking to me about it. I will absolutely. I love I loved our dialogue as well. Actually, it was really great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll say bye from the podcast. Bye. 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 <laughs>